Welcome to Auto Off Topic. And hello, Brad. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Excellent. I, uh, just uh, terminal damaged in dirt and came to do the podcast. You terminal damaged in dirt? Yep. At the Finland stage stages? Yes. Okay. Well, that's good because I did the same. I don't... Kind of hit a plateau with this game. I don't understand. It feels totally different when you do time trials to practice versus doing a rally. Like the car feels totally different. And I don't know if it's because you there's like degradation set up with like the stage or what the deal is, but like cars handle like really smooth and are like the sensation of speed is like really fast. Right. When you're doing time trials and then uh, like it literally felt like the first stage of the car was bogging and like low down on power. Like, I don't understand. I didn't hit anything. There's nothing damaged. It's really weird. Like I granted, I did the time trial on softs, but when I did it on mediums, I was like for the first stage, I ran like a four Oh seven or something. And then on softs, I ran like a three fifty seven. And then in the actual rally with like no real mistakes on mediums, I ran a four fifteen. It's like that is like a lot different. Yeah, it's almost 20 seconds. The tires make that big of a difference, you think? Yeah, but I would think I would be within five seconds of like I'd be around a four, four, like 405. It's just weird. I don't I don't understand it. I haven't done much practice, so I don't really have anything to compare my time to because I just pretty much run the events. Um. And it wasn't so I like know, I, I don't know the difference. I didn't run that after I ran like 20 times of it. It was like the third run in I did that. So it's it's really weird. I don't I don't know. It's super annoying. That's crazy. Cuz it's well, just like the car will just feel like totally different and then just want to like slide off the road and you're like, uh, "Okay." The good news is it has no effect on anything in real life. No, it doesn't, but <laughs> it's annoying because you can't, like, you can start an event, and then once you wreck, it's like, that is it, <laughs> and it's, like, super unsatisfying to not finish uh, a rally. Like, I usually end up, if I had time, I would just do some more time trials after it, just to, like, have some sort of satisfaction <laughs> from playing the game. Well, I know that it is super satisfying to finish a rally, so I'm sure that if I was better at it and didn't finish them less often, it would be super unsatisfying to not finish a rally. But generally, I crash out before the end. Um, I think it's a me- it's a measure of patience for me, to be honest with you. Um, I usually do pretty well in the like sprint stages, the ones that are you know four, maybe five miles long. But when you have the ones that are seven, eight, nine miles long, um, I usually crash out of them pretty pretty regularly. I, I think it's just a, I don't know if it's a, a patience or if it's like attention span, but I, I can't seem to get through a long distance stage. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny to me cause I'll be, you know, a minute or two behind like serious amount of time behind, but then I'll green light one of the, one of the sections as one of the sections as the fastest driver through that section. So I know I can do it. It's just linking it together is the problem. Oh, it doesn't make any sense with that either because I'll have like sections where it's like green, 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 and then you're like 22 seconds behind. You're like, what? Yeah, somebody just did that next section way better than you. And it's like... It doesn't make sense though. (laughs) To go from that, it's it's super weird. It's just a super weird game. I don't don't know. Whatever, it's fun. It doesn't mean anything. It's just fun to, to screw around with and get frustrated at, so... It's irritating when a game doesn't have uh, good flow. So, like, it just—it's just too frustrating to not be fun. I don't think it's reached that point. I—I I enjoy it. If I don't make it, I don't make it, and I move on to the next thing. You know, it's not, not a big deal. Again, I don't—I haven't invested any money in it. I bought it for like fourteen dollars when it was on sale. I didn't buy a controller setup or anything. I just used my my controller, and I just enjoy it. So I've definitely got my $14 worth of enjoyment out of it. Put it that way. Yeah. 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like I suddenly got faster and then now suddenly I can't finish and I'm not like. Well, the like faster you go, the harder you crash. Yeah. But I would like during an event, I'll try to like just maintain a pace. And like it didn't like the la- like the one we did before in New England, I literally smoked everybody on the first stage for like 10 seconds. I was like, all right, cool. I'll just maintain that. And literally it would like the next couple stages, every sector would be like, Plus ten seconds, plus ten seconds, plus ten seconds, and I'd be like twenty seconds down by then. It's like what? So How is some, this possible? So somebody who ran the first stage probably had a a pretty big off early on, and so it gave you that false sense of security of being ahead by twenty seconds. I guess, but it was like close to like my very good time during the time trial. It was actually yeah. faster than my time trial time, which was like thirty seconds off of the top time for the world. Right. So that's what's confusing to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't I think it's I think you're thinking into it too much. It's just a it's a rally game and I think that the the ebb and flow is the way it's going to be. Some people will be faster some days and slower other days. So, I don't know. But my my frustration with Finland is it's all jumps. And if you don't set up perfectly when the car leaves the ground, you have Absolutely zero chance because once the car is airborne, there's no control. Well, a couple of the notes are bad too because it's like if you're not familiar with it, it's like flat six right over crest. Oh yeah, and it's like three. You're like, wait, what? And it's like that's exact in the first stage or second stage. One of the first, one of the first two stages. Because I that's the exact note I was thinking of. Like I'm over the over the crest. It's like it's like stay left six over crest. So I'm like, sweet. I go, I go to the left. It's a six, so I'm not even slowing down. And you're doing 120 mile an hour, and you're in the air, and it's like three in like 50. And you're like, okay, well, I'm airborne, so I'm not getting slowed down for that. Yeah. And you just crash into an ambulance and at 120 miles an hour, and you terminal from the stage. Yeah, you're like, uh, I could have, I could have used that note before leaving the ground. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's actually why I terminal. It wasn't that one, but it's a very similar situation where I, I left the ground. I think my speed of impact when I hit my dead center to tree was 120 miles an hour. So yeah, the one, the common one in Finland, it's like at the end of one of them, it's like a five right, but it doesn't tell you it's over a jump, and you like leave the ground and then you go into a log pile if you do it wrong. I know that stage too because I've done that before too, but I didn't even make it that far this time. Like everybody does it. Yeah. It's pretty. It's like a really common spot. I left. I left the ground, went up in a tree, went back to work because I did it on my lunch break. So, and then <laughs> if you don't set up the cars enough suspension travel, you just smash the ground and then it donkey kicks the car off. Yeah, I get the car set up pretty well. I think I have a pretty standard setup I use for it, but. I don't know. Whatever. It's it, it can be frustrating, but at the end of the day, I think it's more fun than frustrating. So, I enjoy it. How many how many rounds are left in this rally? Or is this the last one? There's like two. Are there two more? One. Okay. The next okay. one it'll be starting the twenty sixth. Same thing goes live at midnight for Friday. Three days, but it's going to be Group B real drive. Uh, oh, good. So I won't make the first corner. In the first event, or any I didn't, of them. I didn't do any. There's no weather. Uh, it's all shortest stages possible that are available, and um, yeah. Well, good because I'll be better at that than at least. But unfortunately, the groupie rear-wheel drive cars and me don't get along. So well, it's, it's like a little practicing, maybe. They're like turbo, 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 leg go, and then it just yeah, you're and like looped sideways. around. Yeah, yeah, whatever. That's okay. Like I said, it's just in fun. There's really no, uh, there's nothing on the line except for the potential to whip a controller across the room. But I think I'm old enough to not do that anymore. Those those days are behind me. <laughs> Plus, TVs are way more expensive and less uh, resilient than they used to be. So throwing controllers is not a good idea. Yeah. Um. Anyway, real car stuff. Did you uh, have you done anything? It's been uh, kind of warm out. I know uh, I've heard you worked on the uh, G twenty a little bit. Yeah, I started working on it last Friday. Um, looking through the the ABS. 
um, while the light was on because it was just on. We turned the car on, just on, which means it's a pretty serious failure because it, it doesn't even have time to do a self-check. It's just like, nope, don't work. So went through it, followed the service manual. Um, there's, you can make the thing blink by grounding the uh, check connector which is like, a, well, actually, the, it's the consult connector, which is Nissan consult. Does it make it blink in like a pattern to tell you what's wrong? Yeah, it does yeah. like a one, one, two, and that's a 12. That's the check. And then it goes into the, it'll show th- up to three codes. Okay. So it had a code for, it was like a 63, a 61, and a 16, which is weird because that was like the uh, brake switch, I think. Like the one um, brake pedal? Yeah. Okay. But I followed the the guide for those, which those were like, it's either like the servo pump, like circuit or the relays. So I started following that stuff. Uh, The 20 amp fuse that powers one part of that system, eventually I found was completely missing from the fuse panel. Okay, that's weird. Well, maybe somebody thought that that was causing the issue. Well, I'll get to that because I think I know why they did it. And then I'm checking the other thing where I'm supposed to have power. I have no power. I'm like, okay. So go back to the circuit diagram. I go to the, find the little fuse panel under the hood. It's kind of like buried under the driver's side fender. It took me like five minutes to figure out where it was because it wasn't clear where it was in the service manual. Actually, wasn't a good picture of it. Um, maybe not in that part, but somewhere else there is. I don't know. Anyway, I open it up. Look, I'm like, okay, I think the fusible link is missing. It's like a 30 amp fusible link because I checked. I've got a meter. I've also got a power probe, which power probes are pretty bougie, but I mean, they're really only like 120 bucks. If you're messing with old cars all the time, they're like super useful. Cause you don't have to like build jumper harnesses. You can just apply power to things with them. Yeah, no, they're pretty nice. I wished I had one last week when I was working on the Volkswagen. So I, one side of the terminal had battery power. The other side did not. I was like, well, that's definitely the fusible link. It's missing. And I powered it with the power probe while my meter was touching the connector uh, that was supposed to have battery power. And sure enough, there's battery power there. So I was like, well, okay, it's not working. So the next day I went to the parts store and I got a fusible link for it. And as soon as I plugged it in, started the car, uh, the light did not come on immediately. Um, and the ABS pump, well, at, before I did this, I I went to the relays and pulled them at the ABS servo pump and made sure that the pump worked with the power probe. It did. The power probe, yep. Put the relays back in, made sure those worked before I put them back in. They were clicking. Everything tested fine with this stuff following all the diagrams. So I put that fusible link in, start the car up. As soon as I touched the brake, the servo pump came on, which doesn't happen all the time, but probably because it hasn't been run in a long time. It, it did a little self-check. Um, as soon as I hit like six miles an hour is when it says it does a self-check, the light comes back on. So I tried to do the way to clear it, which is like, you go from grinding the connector to not grinding it to touching it like for more than a second, three times within 12 seconds. And I couldn't get it to clear. It's like, a, I just, I don't, I haven't gotten the right combination. So I think I'm just going to leave the battery disconnected for like 24 hours because I want to see what the other codes are. Fault it, memory. Yeah. It's still, even if you clear the codes, it doesn't clear them like an OBD two car. Right. They just stay there. And the newest code will always go at the beginning, which it didn't suddenly have a new code, which was a left rear open circuit. Um, like wheel speed? Short, yeah, wheel speed sensor. Okay. Um, I'm like, okay. So you follow that stuff. It tells you to go over to the control unit, which is in the driver's side. Uh, sorry, in the passenger side kick panel. Um, pull it off. I mean, it's mint. It's never, nobody's ever touched this thing. Um, 
like all the all the hardware, the clips, the screws are there, the little screw cover that goes on the trim. This trim's never been off. So I undo the connector, I start checking. It tells you the pin numbers to check. I've got I check the one that was said so, and it's like no continuity. I'm like, I, I must not be doing this right. So I check the other ones. No continuity. <laughs> All four sensors have no continuity. Okay. Which is weird. Are they in their place? Are they there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll get to that. It, I'm like, I have to be doing this wrong. And then I just double-checked, like, key on power... Because they shouldn't get any power. They just they just send, when they spin, they're a magnet, and they just send voltage back to that unit. That's how you get the wheel speed. Yep. But they should have continuity. So I just double-checked that the connector with the key on had power. There was continuity to the ground from the pin that said it was supposed to be ground, and so on. All right, so put it back together. I, I need to do the oil change anyways. Put it on my dad's lift. Did the oil change because oil was, like, black. Um, and then I'm looking around all the connectors and the wires, everything looked intact. I found the rear connectors. They're easy to get to. I sprayed some WD-40 in them to make sure they would slide apart because they were like greasy, undercoating covered. Um, pulled them apart, looked inside. They're not like green, clean them with contact cleaner. So I touched the two terminals at the connector that's directly going to the sensor. I've cut out the car wiring now. Mm-hmm. No continuity. Both rear ones, no continuity. Okay. So I found the other connectors in the front. They're like up in the engine compartment. Same. I'm like, this is so weird. There's no, how can this car have four bad ABS sensors? Yeah, that's a bizarre failure. So I, my dad's going to double check my work, but I, I think that's the way it is. I think that's what it is. Maybe one failed and then the other ones began to fail. And then they were never know. fixed and they just left them and well, failed for yeah. five years. Yeah, because. That's the thing. These sensors are $400 a piece. Oh. So I think what happened, they started to fail, and then they thought, you know, for, they found the wrong fuse. If they had, there's areas of fuse for the light on the dash. Right. If, they, if they had pulled that fuse, the light would be out. Um, so I think thinking that they would stop the light from coming on, whoever did the work on this car pulled those two fuses in the fusible link. Okay. Even though if the light comes on, it just fails to a regular brake system with no ABS anyways. Yeah, they work. They don't have ABS. Yeah. You don't have to pull any fuses or anything. So are there used ones available? No. Do you need me to go to the junkyard and search for them for you? (laughs) You can try. I mean, maybe because they're rust-free out there, they would come out. I guess the issue is they rust in place, and most people are like, they just end up getting destroyed coming out of a used car anyway so you just buy new ones if you really want to do it but again that would be sixteen hundred dollars in wheel speed sensors that you don't technically need no it's a bummer though because it would be nice to make it work yeah because that's the only thing in the car that doesn't work yeah this is like worst case scenario unfortunately you know the heat work ac works uh cruise control works everything works But what a strange failure to have all four of them be bad. Yeah. And like no options for replacing them. Yeah, I just looked them up sitting right here just for, for laughs. And yeah, they are. Uh, I've even tried 315 to 395 a piece, depending on. Yeah, I mean, I'm I haven't tried super hard to see if they're available overseas because the car was sold elsewhere. As if for Primera? some reason they're cheaper as a Premiere part, probably not. I mean, it's, it's really just weird. A, that's a that's a super expensive. I don't understand that. They're they look like a standard ABS sensor. Why are they so just expensive? a two wire? Yeah, it's just a two wire it's passive actually, sensor. It's not anything special. It's a magnet. <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't. There's no there's no common sense for this to be that much money. No. I wonder if we can find some way to rebuild them. If you can get if you can get them out, that's the thing that I was reading about them. Okay, if you can get them out, because there's not much, there's not much to it. It's literally wires and a magnet. So if the wires, the only thing can fail is the wires breaking, right? There's no moving parts. There's no no, yeah, they have no moving parts. So 
either just vibration and age kills them, maybe water intrusion. I don't know. If you can get them out, the the contacts are just dirty and rusty inside. Yeah, uh, they're a little, I mean, the car's not super rusty, but those are definitely probably rusted in there and will take some work to get them out if I, like, because I don't want to break the bolt holding them in either, so that's going to, like, it's going to be a lot of, um, uh, what's the seafoam stuff, deep creep? And And precision hammering? Yeah, you... That's the thing. You you hit him with deep creep. No, and then you take the head of the bolt, like especially as a ten mil bolt, and a punch. Yep. And you hit it with a hammer, and then you spray you some deep it. creep. Yeah. yeah, you shock it because it breaks the crystals, and and then even you can take it, the ten mil and a box wrench, and then a small hammer, and kind of tap it very gently back and forth, and just that tapping and vibration can help break it free, hmm. and you go real slow. Um, and I was like, even thinking, you know, cause people are like, well, if you take a torch to him, you just melt him. But maybe if you took a, a heat gun it would be more precise. You can just heat up the knuckle area and then yeah, spray deep probably, creep in there. You could probably get away with using like a, a, a mini torch too. Like one of the little butane ones with a real fine. Yeah. There's real fine flame on it. I have my methods, but it's going to. Yeah, no, we've, we definitely have our methods and experience for, uh, taking out rusted bolts. That's for sure. It's not something that's uh, foreign to us, unfortunately. I need to pull the wheels, too. I want to see how the brakes are because I can't see through the wheels. They're too tight of a spoke. But it drives fine. It brakes fine. It probably needs an alignment. It feels like the wheel is a little off. Refreshing. Take it off and refreshing them a little bit anyway. Would make the car look a lot better. Clean the calipers up. Yeah, I'd like to change the wheels, but we'll see now (laughs) how much these sensors are. The um, the brake fluid is black too. I would like to flush the brake fluid, okay, because everything else is is in good shape. Um, uh, I'm really digging the car. Not to uh, not to say you know I want to you know, have another car the same as yours, but if I find a nice one, I wouldn't not drive it. So I think it's worth putting a little bit of time and effort into. So that's cool. It drives really nice, but it might mean that the ABS sensor issue. I might just keep it a little bit longer. <laughs> to uh, spread out the cost of buying those sensors and like getting enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Well, again, you don't need the sensors. I don't, but there's no state inspection. Doesn't, you know, pull that up. It's not, it would be nice to have it working, but yeah. And I still need to clean the gauge cluster because he used like the, uh, the prior owner, not our friend, Chris, we got it from had It's like black duct tape or something. And it's hmm. like, like I'm gonna have to put like goo gun on there, and and maybe buy some plastic razor blades, and and scrape scrape it off, and then probably polish it. Well, again, this is the perfect kind of project car. It's all stuff that you can tackle a little at a time. You know, oh, not- so yeah. So here's a fun part. I um, it had like a worn door hinge. The driver's side lower door hinge was worn because I think it was just a single guy that owned this car. Like the back seat's never been really sat in. It's only got wear on the driver's seat. Like it's like stained blue. Like maybe you wore a denim jacket all the time. Okay. I don't know. So I, in my errands on Saturday, driving it around, I stopped at the infinity dealer and I was like, I got an old one for you. Maybe you don't make this anymore. Maybe you do, you know, driver's side lower hinge. And the kid was like, Nope, I don't. But here's the part number. I was like, cool. He's like, you can find it somewhere. I was like, appreciate that. So then it's going over to my parents' house, and spoiler alert, we've talked about this before. We, Our parents lived across the street from each other. I was coming down the, the street. Your dad was out cleaning his Miata up. He was taking it out for the season. Okay. I pulled down the driveway, show him the car, and I get out, and he's like, Did that door drop when you got out? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh. I was like, I think the hinge is worn out. And he's like, looking at it. He's like, hold on. He comes back. He had this like pry bar thing. I'd never seen one before. It clips into the actual door latch. Yeah, and then you put it on the the door latch part on the body of the car, mm-hmm. and you pry it up a little bit and line the door back up. Yeah, yeah. It uses the 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 check pin on the on the on the pillar of the car as almost like a, a fulcrum point and lifts the lifts the door up. Yeah, because a Japanese car is not like a a U.S. car. 
an old U.S. car, we could like replace the door hinge or rebuild the door hinge. The American cars used to have pins. Yeah. So the, the pin would have brass bushings on it, and the brass bushings would wear out over time. And you could take the hinge apart, and you'd put a new brass bushing on the on the they call they call it a hinge pin actually. Yeah. And uh, the Japanese cars have a more it's just complicated, a hinge. Yeah, <laughs> a little more complicated style hinge. But it's, they, they're, well, they're easier it's, to fix. Or simpler hinge, actually. If you think about it. it well, they're like they're just a hinge, they're, but they're non-rebuildable. You just right. have to replace them. Um, but I guess you can adjust them this way because it just wore out and a little bit down, and now the door shuts perfect. So I was like, ah, freebie. Yep. That's a uh, that's an old body man trick. Until my father's been in the auto body industry for a long time, so that's certainly a uh, an old trick of the trade. Yeah, it closes great now. I had to like pick it up before to like get it to close, and it was like really annoying, but sweet, awesome. I'm sure his uh, auto body repair bill is in the mail. <laughs> Standard rate out there is about you know forty five an hour. Yeah, no, that's cool. Simple repairs are always the best repairs. I remember I've used that door hinge trick on uh, quite a few cars that. I've gotten over the years because, you know, obviously we don't buy brand new cars, so we buy cars that have worn out door hinges. So that tool has certainly come in handy before. Yeah. Um, I had The guy had the Q45 towed to my house. Oh, that's right, too. I almost forgot there was a second Infinity in your, <laughs> yeah. your 1995, your recreation of 1995 Infinity dealer. Yeah. Uh, so that, that car has 53,000 miles on it. So it's new. Yeah, it's got a weird stalling issue, I guess. The guy gave me all the original paperwork. It had the original purchase and sales agreement. Uh, some lady in Long Island bought the car originally. It seemed like she paid cash because it said like COD on delivery. Okay. Of like $37,000. Was that the full purchase price? Oh, that includes your trade. Oh, okay. They gave her nine grand for a 1990 Nissan Maxima. Okay. 1995. Seems like a... Uh Typical move up from a Maxima to a Q45, right? Uh, I mean, you went from a Maxima to a $60,000 Q. Well, you went from a Maxima, which was probably the most expensive Japanese car you could get at the time. No. 1990? Nissan? I guess they were the first year of Infinity, right? Yeah. Okay. So Infinity was a not unknown entity yet. So she bought the most expensive non-Infinity Japanese car she could get. And then uh, moved into the most expensive Japanese car she could get in 1995 as well. But so that's what fifty. What was it? Forty-eight thousand. That car. Yeah. Uh, well, that car was fifty-eight thousand. The sticker. Fifty-eight thousand. Yeah. And that was in 1995. Yeah. So a quick Google tells me that that is. We did this last week. It was a hundred grand. Hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. We did. I don't remember. That's okay. Yeah. Though. That's a lot um, of money. Car looks pretty good. Uh, I can figure out what the stalling issue is because it's interesting because the traction and slip lights were not on when I moved it. So, maybe so it's like an inter- thing. intermittent thing? Okay. Yeah. There was Which, some paperwork from an Infinity dealer that said there was like a mouse nest like under the intake and like knock sensor, but it looked pretty well, clean that, under there. If there was a mouse nest and all it is is some broken wiring and all you have to do is pull off the intake. That's a simpler repair actually. Yeah. I'll, I'll look into it. That would be ideal. I mean, one thing at a time, obviously you always preach that to me as you buy two cars at the same time to work on. Um, well, but they both, they, they do both run. Okay. And, I mean, the G20 is basically, I mean, other than the ABS thing, which doesn't even make it not rover with It's like, perfectly fine as a car yeah the only thing i have to do is like plugs and wires fuel filter and air filter and that's yeah it. just maintenance <laughs> stuff and maintenance stuff is fine yeah sweet well i'm glad you made progress on the car at least you've uh, at least diagnosed what you think it is so that's good yeah i think it needs um i think it needs some lowering springs though and wheels well, you said see. probably needs struts too right yeah, somebody threw uh, auto part struts in the rear. Because they were uh, completely, completely blown before or something. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure they're not as good as even the worst KYBs. So. 
Well, it's neat. That'd be a fun, you know, back road kind of up in New Hampshire in the mountains kind of fun car, I think. So it'll be good to spend the summer with it and figure out what you're going to do come come fall. So neat. I am a fan. I cannot wait to be there in a few months and drive it myself. Yep. Hopefully I don't need any ABS because it doesn't have any. Yeah, but <laughs> you drive like 10 cars that don't have ABS, so. Uh, they're all way slower than that car, though. I might, I might get myself into trouble. Also, it doesn't rain here, so I never have to worry about you know sliding in a slippery surface. Uh, it has like 140 horsepower. It's not super fast. Okay, that's twice the horsepower of the Colt. Yeah, but it's like not much more than Mirage. Okay, I'm being sarcastic. Obviously, I can drive a car without ABS, but interesting. I cannot wait to take it for a ride. Yeah, if you work, did you work on the G, uh, the G, the Q45 at all, or just kind of moving around? I just looked it over some more. Excellent. So I did a few things out here. Yeah. Uh, that Volkswagen project that kind of appeared here. Mm-hmm. Man, what a pain in the butt. Told you to just get rid of it. Well, I'm being stubborn, unfortunately. Um, my stubbornness will probably run out this week, but I'm being stubborn. So. We diagnosed that it needed a fuel pump, so we put a fuel pump in it. It did need a fuel pump. There's no question. The fuel pump was bad. I've questioned it now a thousand times because it still didn't work when I put it in, so I retested the old fuel pump, and it's, and it's, and it's bad. Applying direct power to it does nothing. It does not pump fuel. It's it's junk. So that has been remedied. Still wouldn't start. I think we talked about this last week. Um, it has some questionable wiring, some really questionable wiring. So it was a stereo competition car that was built by uh, Naomi's son, Jordan, and was built like really nicely. He then sold the car and somebody rebuilt it with their own components and it was all rewired. And it's Andrew's favorite uh, automotive electronic wiring. It's full of, of, of uh, ele- uh, wire nuts, wire nuts and electrical tape. And even some places duct tape to secure connections together. So obviously duct tape is not ideal for wiring because it's, you know, conductive. It's metal. <laughs> probably is not probably not a good idea. It's not like duct tape, like it's actual like aluminum duct work tape. Not the generic oh, duct tape name. Like aluminum tape. Actual aluminum duct tape, yeah. Oh. To do wiring. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a very poor yeah, idea. I was going to say, duct tape is like fabric-based. No, 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 no. This is actual the stuff you would... Yeah, it's it's actual aluminum tape. So anyway, ha- having removed all of that from the car, um, I can make the pump pump by jumping the relay. So we're like, oh, cool. The relay's bad. Tested the relay. Relay's bad. Cool. That's easy. Went ahead and ordered a you know $30 relay from Amazon. It came. I tested it before I put it in just to make sure. You know, you can you know power the leads. You hear it click, 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 click. All is well. Put it in the car. Car won't start. Just cranks and cranks and cranks. Interesting. So now I'm trying to figure out how this relay works. What it does. So being a Volkswagen, um, do you know how the fuel pump primes? I didn't until you told me the other day. Yeah, you open the door to prime the fuel pump which is interesting. So with the relay in, I open the door and nothing happens. And I'm like, great. So the relay is bad. The brand new relay is bad. Took the relay out, tested it again. Now it's bad. Okay. That's weird. Why is this? Why did this relay just burn out? So I went ahead and I took uh, a jumper wire and put it in where the relay goes. And immediately the fuel pump comes on. So I went, all right. Maybe this relay just is a cheap Chinese relay and, you know, it just isn't going to work. So went to the junkyard. I'll fast forward a little bit later on or I'll rewind back to the junkyard later for a different story. Went to the junkyard, found a relay from a Jetta. Actually found a glove box from a Jetta too, which is nice because this car was missing a glove box. So I completed, completed the dash, put a glove box in. So while the car doesn't run, at least I have a place to put the parts. Um, plug the jumper harness in. Yep. Immediately the fuel pump came on, went ahead, got the relay from, from the junkyard car, tested the relay, relay works great, clicked it in place, 
close the door, open the door, fuel pump primed. Plenty of fuel flow from the pump all the way to the front of the car. Great. Went to start it. Fuel pump won't kick on again. Hmm. Pulled the relay out, tested the relay. Now the relay is bad. So something in the harness of the car is shorting out the relays, right? That's going to yeah. be the answer at this point. So at that point, we pulled the radio out. That's when we saw how poor the harness was. Um, the car doesn't start from the key because the ignition is broken. You put the key in, which trips the immobilizer and unlocks the steering column. And then there is a start button on the center console as hearts the car. So whether or not it was done that way because it broke or it was done that way because, I don't know, car stereo person wanted to make a push button start, whatever. So we're push button starting the thing and it's cranking over, cranking over, cranking over. It's not starting. Did a little more digging after you pulled the radio out. There is a toggle switch that was under the radio that was not visible. It must have been like pushed up inside the dashboard. I flicked the toggle switch and all the dash lights come on. Like they would when you turn the key to on. Okay. So, obviously, we were unaware that you needed to flick this toggle switch, which mimics the key being turned to the on position to the computer. So, I don't know if by not having that on and trying to start the car, we somehow fried the relay. I don't know. I don't know either. So... Haven't had a chance to go back to the junkyard yet. I'm not going to pay $30 for another relay. Uh, fun fact, I went to the Volkswagen dealer to see how much they were. Um, bear in mind, these are in every Mark IV Golf, whether it's a turbo, a non-turbo, or a diesel. Uh, they did not have it in stock, and they wanted $120 for it for a relay. Hmm. So I was like, well, that's not going to happen. So I haven't had a chance to go back to the junkyard yet. I'll make another trip back to the junkyard and snag a couple more relays. <laughs> out of a couple of cars that are there um, just to have a few backups as I try to diagnose some more things. Cause it sounds like I'm probably going to blow some more relays up. So probably. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening. Um, actually what I probably should do what I haven't done yet is just run the jumper wire and try to start it the key on and the toggle switch on and see if it starts. Cause that should work. Right. I think it will. Yeah. My brain working. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm giving it at the end of the week, and then the car is being sold as is because I don't want it. I didn't want it in the first place. You know, I get why we have it. Um, I'm uh, working through it, trying to make it happen, and if it doesn't happen, then I guess no harm, no foul, right? Right. So the main reason we went to the junkyard, however, uh, ditch hookers, Jordan and Liz, have the Volvo 240 need a steering rack. Yeah. Funny story, their steering rack was not available anywhere in the world, pretty much. So I was like, really oh. weird because it's a Volvo 240 and they literally made nine, like nine million. No, a lot of them. It was like 900,000 of these cars. That's what it was. They made, they made a lot of them over like 25 years. Yeah, they, they certainly are not in short supply and there's so many of them still on the road. Like normal non car people still drive these things. Yeah. So the fact that they, can't get a steering rack for it is very strange to me. Um, anyways, they tried. Um, they didn't get one. They had one on order that seemed to just kind of never appear. So I was like, I want to get a used one. And he's like, well, they're all going to be, you know, uh, 2.8 million 240s. So more than 900,000. Um, they're all going to be rusty. They don't want to get a used one. I was like, well, what about an uh, Arizona car? They won't be too rusty. So I found a couple in a junkyard here. I went down to, to grab them, and it was an 85 Volvo 240 with like 250,000 miles on it, which obviously for a 240 is, you know, just broken in, right? Yeah. Car was super true. clean, super straight, except for where it was smashed up. Um, yeah, it would have kept going if it hadn't been an accident. 100%. The it wasn't was, in the junkyard because the engine broke. Yeah, the car was beautiful. Like, everything on the car was, like, almost showroom fresh. Super nice car. Cream white over tan interior. Hit really hard in the left front. Thankfully, the damage was all above the frame rails. So there was no damage to the steering rack itself. Um, Arizona cars, man. It's an 85. 
there was no challenge taking the thing apart. You know, every bolt just came out like I didn't. I didn't even use power tools until I tried to get the tie rod, you know, nuts off the the outer tie rods, the knuckles. That's the only thing I even had to use the impact on, and only because of the you know amount of torque they're put on with. But everything else just came out with like you know three eighths drive hand tools, which is just nice. Even the the hoses where the fittings are just came out with hand tools. Like there was nothing, no challenge taking this car apart. I was working on the car the whole time and I was like, man, I should buy an Arizona Volvo 240 just to drive because this is such a nice car to work on. Yeah. No challenge at all. Um, the only challenge, like I said, was getting the tie rod nuts off and then getting the tie rods out of the knuckles because I neglected to bring a hammer. Um, I oh, had yeah. I had a pry bar that I thought I could get in between but it didn't work. So we're standing there and Naomi's like, let me go up front and see if I can find somebody with a hammer. So the first person she runs into with a hammer comes walking over with his buddy and he goes, hey, did you guys pull up in that eclipse? And we're like, uh, yeah. And he goes, sweet. I have a 1G as well. <laughs> I was like, weird. oh, weird. Interesting. Uh, so he has to tell me who he is in his car. He has your car, Andrew. He has a beige 1G Talon. Same car as yours. Um, it, he, st- he says, well, you have an Instagram? And I was like, I do, actually. And he tells me his name, and I had just liked his post like an hour ago. So I already followed him, but never never met him in real life. So that was totally random that he had the tools for, the, they had the hammer to take the, the part of the car. And he happened to be like right there and somehow knew it was us driving the Eclipse, which is still strange. So it gets even stranger because, you know, we get the, I get the hammer from him. I knock the tie rods out of the ball joints. Then these three dudes come walking up to the car and they're like kind of going all over it. So it turns out that one of those three dudes who's wearing a Red Sox hat, which is also strange, um, being from, you know, being in Phoenix, not Boston. I was also wearing a Red Sox hat. Starts talking about the car, and he's like, man, I think this is my car. And he starts going over it, and he opens the door, and the Kenwood stereo is still inside. So normally the junkyard pulls stereos out, yeah. but this one had a detachable faceplate. So they left it in the car because the detachable faceplate wasn't there. But we found the faceplate in the car while we were working on it. And he's like, yeah, that's my stereo. And he looks in the back seat. He's like, those are my speakers. And he's looking at it, and he's like, oh, man. He's like, I, I wanted to buy this car back. I regretted selling it. Because he had done all the work to it. It had new brake lines, new fuel lines, you know, restored everything on it. It painted the wheels. It had done some, you know, little light body work on the car, I guess. And uh, it was his high school car. <laughs> and oh, the kid weird. looked like he was probably, you know, in his late late teens, early 20s now. And he was all upset that the car was all smashed up because he put all his time and effort into it. And then he sold it and regretted it. So it's totally random that we're just working on this one Volvo in a yard of like, you know, 10,000 cars and we both meet the guy who with the 1G Eclipse or Talon and the guy who used to own the car that we're currently working on. Such a strange like like fun day at the junkyard, you know? So, eat junkyard stories for sure. Anyway, the part came out. It's in the mail right now on the way to Jordan to put his uh, Volvo 240 back together. So, I'm sure he'll be excited when that arrives. Because the thing came out, it's mint. It still had like the brass color fittings and everything are still shiny. So Arizona cars are something else. And Volvos don't suffer too much from sun fade either, apparently. The interior is still in pretty decent shape. So yeah, yeah good stuff. So that's done. That's done. The Mustang has been torn apart. Um, I think I told about the Mustang last week, Mustang Bonnie. We pulled, yes, the, we pulled the interior out um, just to make sure that the floors were as solid as they seemed. I say me. I say we. I should say Naomi pulled the interior out. Um, got the carpets out, the seats out, center console out. Um, floors are almost perfectly mint. There's one small hole that's like you probably couldn't slide a dime through it standing up. That's how small it is. It's a little slit in between two panels. So that's the only thing they even fixed in the whole bottom of the car. And just, you know, P.O.R. it and paint it and put a new interior in it. So that project is moving right along. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty stoked. 
And uh, this Saturday, hopefully, I'm going to meet up with an owner of a bunch of late 70s Toyota pickup trucks to grab some parts to finish putting the uh, blue truck together, too. So things are looking up. Yeah. I I haven't worked on the Starion much because I've been doing other stuff. So no new updates in the Starion. It still doesn't run right. But here's what it is. One thing at a time, right? Trying to keep my focus and get things done a little at a time. So, project car updates in a nutshell. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, I do have some sad news. Um, we should recognize uh, Sabine Schmitz passed yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, she was the, if you weren't familiar with her, she was the queen of the Nürburgring. Uh, I think, like, you know, they said that she's like the fastest woman there, but. Uh, she's probably one of the fastest people ever. Yeah, doesn't need anything qualifier. <laughs> and uh, I think she had probably like the most laps of like anyone. Probably, I think they. One of the things I read estimated over like twenty thousand laps or something, which is amazing considering how long the track is. Yeah, um, won the twenty four hour Nurburgring like twice. Pretty crazy. Yeah, she had a lot of laps because she ran ring taxis. Yeah. So basically, you're, you're, if you're you know, in the area being a tourist, you could take laps at speed in a BMW with her driving. Yeah. Which would have been an amazing thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I said she was very um, young. She's only 51 years old. I guess she'd been battling cancer for three years or so. Yeah, but only publicly announced it like pretty recently. Yeah, recently when it seemed like it was not going to get any better, I guess. So... So, just a solemn reminder to you know don't wait just do what you want to do 51 years old is not very old no 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 and uh i i certainly can't say i've turned one lap of the Nürburgring, ring let alone twenty thousand. and you know it's only about a decade older than i am so it's definitely a, a sobering reminder to just don't wait just do what you want to do yep but yeah so, yeah that was news. unfortunate news Sad news. Uh-huh. But, um... Oh, I saw an F50 in person the other day to kind of bring it around to that. Oh, game. yeah. Uh, have you ever seen one in person? Like, up close? No. No, I've only seen an F40. Yeah, I've seen a few F40s, but I've never seen an F50 up close in person. Uh, there's a lot less of them, too, which is probably why. There's only, what, 395 of them or something were ever made? I guess. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty wild cars. They're basically Formula One cars that they put a body on. Um, well, that was sort of the idea of the F40. Yeah, but the F50 kind of took it to the next step, I think. <laughs> they're they're really just, there's not much to them. Are they um, like 96, 97, 98? I think those are the three years. They're they're mid to late 90s. What, one thing I did not realize, well, the whole car is carbon fiber, which for the time was obviously, you know, pretty So's the F40, yeah. It's a different kind of... The F40 has other construction in it, too. Like, this entire car is carbon. Like, the entire car. From the monocoque to the body to every part of the car. Does the F40 have that? Or does the F40 have, like, a steel monocoque still? Uh, it's I don't definitely know. not steel. I, or aluminum, maybe? It might be aluminum. It's like a tube chassis under there. Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, I, I Ferraris are so far out of my... my my wheelhouse. I don't know a lot about them. They're tiny too. That's the other thing. The F40 is a very small. The F50 seems a little bigger. Um, yeah. The cool thing that really stood out to me looking at the car, other than like, you know, the suede dash and the tiny non-airbag steering wheel, which I don't know how they get away with that. Maybe the limited, limited production, production maybe. Um, but there was so... There's, the paint on the car is so thin that when you see one in person up close, you can actually see the texture of the carbon weave through the paint. It's wow. not like just a deep miles, you know, miles deep paint job. It's literally when you catch the sunlight on it and you catch it at an angle, you can see the texture of the carbon weave underneath. Yeah. It's like, uh, we put enough paint just so it's colored red. That's yeah, we, it. We, we make it, we make it, we make it red. Have a nice day. Yeah. It's, that's, it's amazing how, because the, you know, they want to be as lightweight as possible. So put as little paint on it as possible. And that's what they did. It's such a wild car to see in person. I mean, it's, it's, it's way, it's way more stunning in person than it is in pictures. In pictures, it's almost like 90s bubble car-esque. I don't, I don't want to do it a disservice by saying that. It's not, like a, it's not like a Ford Taurus, but 
it's a little less underwhelming in pictures because it has those softer edges. It's, not, it's extreme looking as an F40 or an Enzo that they, came after it. I think they don't um, too often they're photographed by themselves. So there's no scale. Yeah. So it doesn't, it like almost throws you off sometimes. You it don't looks realize. like a huge car in the pictures. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, recently, you know, I've been more on Twitter lately, but somebody posted a picture of the 2000 GT and they're like, explain to me why people think this is so beautiful, but it's just a picture by itself. And I was like, well, it's like part of the reason like you have to see one in person to understand the scale of the car. Yep. It's very... Seeing it in person makes it much prettier. It's got so small and light. Yeah. And it has the basic same shape as a Jaguar E-Type. Which like it literally, cool. in a picture, it looks like a big car. But when you stand next to one, and I'm sure it's the same with an F50. I know it's with an F40. They're like waist high. Yeah. Yeah. They're very small. And, and the car, car was amazing. I mean, it was parked behind a, you know, what was that like 2006? The Ford GT came out. So it was yeah. parked behind a, a Ford GT on the front of it and behind it was a new Ford GT that kind of wild over the top. Um, I haven't seen one of those in one that came out. Well, other than the race car. Yeah, no, this was a, a streetcar yellow with black stripes, carbon fiber wheels. I mean, mm-hmm. it really just kind of, it overshadowed those cars immensely. And those aren't run-of-the-mill cars either. Those aren't cars you see every day. And the cool thing was, you know, it's what I love about this. The, it was at uh, 4 till 4, the coffee shop in Scottsdale on their Saturday mornings. I mean, it was sprinkling that morning. It was actually actively sprinkling when I was there. And there's this F50 sitting there with the roof off. It had some covers over the seats, but it's just sitting there like a, you know, like a Corolla would on a normal day. And it just, to be able to get that close to it and see it and be up, you know, see every little detail of the car was, it's an experience you don't get very often. I'll probably never walk up to a top off F50 on the side of the road during a rain shower in my life. You know what I mean? That's like not. that's a once in a lifetime kind of experience, and it was it was really neat to see it. And again, I've never even seen one in an ideal setting before. I've been to you know countless automotive museums. I've never seen one in person, so it was neat to see one just being treated like a car. I mean, I'm sure it's went home and was cleaned and wiped down and put back in its hermetically sealed vault, but still, for that you know few hours that it wasn't, it was just a regular car on the street, which is. Something that I guess you have to see to appreciate, but I was I was blown away. I'll put it that way. And apparently, it belongs to the same gentleman who had the uh, Maserati MC12. Is that the Enzo-based one? I think MC12. No, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he had the same the white and blue one. You know what I'm talking about? He had that. Uh, he had oh, that car there before. Power. Yeah. I don't know. These, so. th- those type of cars are out of my purview. I don't. As I was saying, that they're so far out of my wheelhouse, and I could care less about the newest, latest, greatest McLaren or the newest, latest, greatest Ferrari. But these earlier cars, when supercars were still more special, I almost want to say, um, they still do something. <laughs> the The newer cars, the newer supercars, to me, seem a little. I don't know. It's like every every YouTuber has a Lamborghini. You know, it's not. It's not even special anymore. These older once, cars are. Once uh, Audi bought Lamborghini or Volkswagen, whatever, that's when they jumped the shark for me. I mean, they're cool. Like a like a new Lamborghini. Um, not the one with the doors that swing up. What's the smaller one? Murcielago? I don't even know anymore. Yeah. They even make that car anymore. Gerardo? I don't know. Both. I think the Murcielago had the had Lamborghini doors. The Gallardo had standard doors. But those aren't even the cars that are, are out anymore. Now it's like a, a, a <laughs> Venino. Was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> so they're, what? I mean, I'm sure they're amazing to drive and they're very fast, but I don't know. They don't do much for me. I I feel like for modern stuff, for a driver's car, you got to go with a 911. Oh, 100%. They're, they're the only yeah. ones that have held as true as possible to what they are. So I just pulled up the 2021 uh, Lamborghini lineup. So there's only a couple of cars, um, and I think they're all Huracan-based. Yeah, and everybody, Stephanie watches a lot of the reality TV shows with rich people that are based in like California, and they all have like the Lamborghini SUV now to oh, like just the, be driven around in. Yeah, the Lamborghini Pontiac Aztec. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, again, 
I don't dislike a modern supercar. They just don't do anything for me. And I think a lot of it comes from, and I, I hate to say it, but a lot of it comes from the owner base. You know, you go to a cars and coffee that has high end cars and you know, the guys in the Lamborghinis with the chrome wraps and straight pipes that just rev them, you know, to the moon and that's it is super frustrating and it's obnoxious and I wouldn't want to be part of that. I'd just want to buy a Porsche. Mm. Give me a 911 GT3 Touring and I'll be a happy man. Mm-hmm. I like the simple things, you know? I only like my supercars to be 180 grand. Right, exactly. But look like a normal 911. So, anyway, it was just neat to see an F50. I, uh, I don't think I'll see another one anytime soon, so... I was happy to see that one. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any around. I'm, I'm sure there's like one or two around here. I'm sure like the Herb Chambers collection has one. And there was probably one at like Italian Tutto Car Day. Italiano. Yeah. yeah. But we haven't gone to Tutto Italiano in many a year either. So yeah, it was probably like 14 or 15 the last time I went. So the car was probably new. <laughs> no, 14 or 15. You were 14 or 15 or it was no, 14 no. or 15? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, you said I, years I, now, 14 or 15. I miss. I misheard you. I thought you said that uh, you were 14 no, or 15 no, last no. time you went, which would have made it back when the car was new. <laughs> no. I get you. No, no. Um, although the last time we went, I think, was on my birthday. So, Because oh. it's in August. So Excellent. I don't remember. I've not been in a while. I don't know where you were. I don't know why. You, it's weird times. I don't know why you weren't there. I could have been there. Who knows? No, because our friend Keith was there, I remember, because then we went to the seaport, and uh, before it was all built up, we went to a, a Mexican restaurant and got margaritas. Ah, well, yeah, no, I definitely was not there. Uh, 2000, you know, mid, mid-2000s were a weird time in my life, so <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't there. Yep. But maybe if, if, if I'm back in Massachusetts in August, we'll, uh, we'll have to hit it up one of these times. But honestly... Cars and coffees out here are so ridiculous with that kind of stuff. It's all the same kind of. Ooh, cars and coffees. I don't even go to them. <laughs> I mean, it's because of those Lamborghini owners. They're just obnoxious. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I guess you have to see it. I could say the cars and coffees out here have more high-end new cars. How's that sound? Uh, I mean, a lot of them here do too. It's, it's all the. Challengers and Camaros. No, I'm saying they're more high end. It's more Lamborghinis and Ferraris out here. So, again, it's, it's just it's we've talked about it before. It's people in New England are a little more reserved with their with their financial choices. Well, they'll have they, you. They, they don't buy the neon green Lamborghini. Yeah, well, they'll have their own cars and coffee with no other cars there. Right by themselves. Like they'll just have they'll just have Lamborghinis and it'll, it'll be. Like, Come to your exclusive event, and we'll charge you twenty bucks to look at our Lamborghinis. That happens here too. So, yeah. maybe it's just the way of the supercar owner nowadays. They want to be exclusive. But yep. Whatever. Anyway, that's it for today. Let's sure see. is. Sure is. Now that we're rambling, right. we've reached the rambling stage of the podcast, and that's when All we right, know yeah. we have to stop. Yeah. So you can follow us on Out Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Out Off Topic on Instagram. Uh, Auto off topic on Twitter. I am on Twitter as uh, Race and Anger and on Instagram Race and Anger. And uh, that's pretty much it. And I keep it simple. I keep it simple. They can find me in one place on Instagram at TSISS350. All right, cool. Keep your guys analog and aim for the release. Yeah.